Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to episode 219 of the Falcoholic Live. I am your host, Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin, joined by an especially illustrious guest making a rare post-loss appearance. He is Dave Choate at the Falcoholic. Uh, Dave has been able to use his executive privilege to avoid coming on the show after a loss. Up until week 11, uh, I applaud you, Dave, but we finally cornered you, uh, and you just used your last hall pass, so you just had you know had to come on. And unfortunately, after a particularly uh, frustrating loss on Thursday Night Football against the Panthers. But aside from that loss, how are you doing? Okay. <laughs> I, I won't blink twice. Um, okay. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Okay. Okay, guys. Dave is okay. I wasn't, you know, torturing him for the last two minutes if you possibly couldn't hear that. So, uh, welcome. Welcome, everyone. Um, don't know what was going wrong, but, uh, we'll, we'll, we got whatever it is, it's fixed. It's probably my fault. Uh, you know, we'll just gloss over that, though, and go right into the content. Uh, welcome, guys, once again to the Falcoholic Live. We will be uh breaking down some interesting questions tonight as we're sort of at a turning point in the season i feel like uh we're a little we're over halfway now the falcons are sort of on the knife's edge of being in like top 10 pick draft season or like oh we're actually one game out of first place still and it all hinges on this week's game against the bears who all of a sudden don't look like nearly as big of a punching bag as they might have been earlier in the season um we also have to contend with the fact that the Bucks seem to be getting their act together. And there's a lot of factors. But one of the big questions tonight is, you know, do we still think the Falcons can make the playoffs? And we will be sort of touching on a lot of that throughout the evening. Uh, before we get to that, though, do want to get Dave's take on Thursday night's game. We don't have to spend too much time on it. Uh, but, Dave, uh, I've talked about it to death already. So I don't really have much more to say other than that I, it was very frustrating and has, you know, sort of kicked off our, our Ritter coverage. Uh, Ritter, Ritter coverage is sort of popping off right now, um, you know, and maybe we're partially responsible for that, for driving that train. But uh, what what did you think about Thursday night and, and uh, anything else about that game you want to touch on? Yeah, I, I think um, the biggest fear for me after after seeing that game is that the league is sort of catching up to the Falcons, right? Um, you know, the first few weeks of the season, you never felt like they were down and out of it. You never felt like a comeback was hopeless, that they were really being dominated by other teams. And unfortunately, you know, it was one thing when it was the Bengals that it was happening against. It was another when it was the Chargers and then the Panthers, and it, it felt you know, inevitable that they were going to lose past a certain point. Um, so I, my my short-term concern is, man, they lost to the Panthers, which stinks. You know, I, I actually have a lot of respect for Steve Wilkes as a coach. I think he was kind of railroaded in Arizona. But 
That being said, this is an interim coach for a bad football team that traded away pieces and they, they handled the Falcons pretty capably. So that that's discouraging, but really it's like the long-term implications, at least long-term in terms of the rest of this, this season that worry me. You know, if you, if your run defense is starting to slip when you already know that your, your pass defense is not great. If your passing game is, is really regressing from where it was before and you can't count on your ground game to keep you in it um that's that's a big problem and and obviously the panthers get to see the falcons twice in a year and they have some great pieces up front on defense in particular that that made this a little bit easier but i look at this team and i am getting a little bit nervous about the way these losses are piling up and the specific you know, strengths and weaknesses that they have at this point. So watching that was really discouraging, but it, it's more of a concern that now, you know, like you said, with the Bears getting their their footing a little bit, maybe with Washington doing the same, this isn't necessarily going to be a pushover final seven games, and the Falcons don't look like the team that was pushing people around earlier. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's been honestly oddly familiar <laughs> feeling compared to last year because uh folks probably don't remember or they might not remember but uh this season is going almost exactly like last year in terms of the record uh now the Falcons had an early buy so things are off by a week but if you take that into account last year the Falcons were four and four uh going into week uh four and four in week nine then they fell to four and five in week 10 and then four and six the following week uh, and then they did end up winning the next game uh, to go to five and six. Uh, and then they would end up, you know, losing and then winning and then losing and then winning. And they did that basically all, all season. But early on, it definitely felt like this team was better than last year's team. And I, I think that they still are. But in the win column, it hasn't shown up. And I think that was sort of what we talked about before the season actually being the case is that this team might be more competitive and be better overall, but they might not win as many games as last year, even. Um, certainly I think they're on track to probably win six to seven games still, at least, you know, my record prediction was like six and 11. Um, I think if somebody was predicting 10 and or seven and 10, you know, I think that's probably the, yeah, that's probably also that like six to eight win range seems probably like what they're going to end up in at this point, depending on really probably depending a lot on these next three games. Um, but it's very discouraging. You, you lose to the Chargers in a game that you should have won. Um, that's just frustrating. But the team didn't look like they were completely outplayed in that game. Like they they really should have won that game. There was, they had a lot of opportunities to do so and just didn't close it out. And then the problem is you've played the Panthers twice and you should have lost both games. Um, and, you know, this time you really didn't even look competitive against them. And it just, I, what you said about it seeming NFL defenses are smart. And we talked about this on um, Tuesday's show, talking about the quarterback switch, you know, the potential for that to happen and our opinions on that. And I'll definitely get your thoughts on that as well here in a little bit. But um, NFL defenses and NFL defensive coordinators are smart. Once they get tape on something, they they can adjust to it. Um, and the Falcons seem to have been figured out. They they've been uh, let's see in the last four games they've scored seventeen or less three times, um, which is a lot worse than their previous you know four game stretch. Um, and and they're just starting to fall, particularly in the passing game where it's never been great, but they've now gone. I think what it's. It, 
their only 200 yard game in the since week three is in week eight. And that was against the Panthers. Um, you know, they've had two other 200 yard games. that were like weeks one and three. Uh, and that's it. It's been under 200 yards every single week, maybe even under 150 yards every single week. Um, and that's just, that's a level of passing volume. That's almost like unheard of in the NFL, except for the most broken passing games in this league. And, it seems like that's unfortunately where the Falcons passing offense is at this time. Um, and it really showed up against the Panthers in particular. The pa- the the pass protection was the biggest issue. Um, you know, Ritter, uh, not Ritter. Ritter hasn't been sacked yet, thankfully. But Mariota is getting clobbered back there. Five sacks. Uh, under pressure all the time. Drew Dahlman had his most, I would say, alarming game of the season. Colby Gossett. Uh, did not have a, a great game either. Caleb McGarry struggled. So, like, you know, the, we knew the offensive line still was struggling in pass protection, but this was one of their worst games of, of the season. Um, just how... What do you think the main problem with the passing game is, Dave? You, do you think it is the quarterback? Do you think it's the offensive line? Is it all of the above? I mean, what sort of where do you, where do you point the blame and what do you think they can do about it at this point, if anything? Yeah, I think it is a multifaceted problem. Um, so you have, you know, people like to point to the errors. You know, you get somebody running a sloppy route here. You know, you get somebody who has a drop there. Like that, that is part of the issue, but it's not a major part of the issue. The, the, t- the twin issues really are the quarterback play and the offensive line play. And the offensive line play is probably leading to the quarterback play, if we're being honest, because I think some of Mariota's worst decisions this year have come when he's successfully extended a play. You know, he has gotten away from a guy right in his face that shouldn't have been there that early on, and he's flushed out of the pocket, but he also gets flustered, and as he says, you know, is trying to make something happen. I, I think it's a combination of, you know, Mario to having some limitations that we know in terms of his accuracy, um, particularly downfield and bizarrely throwing to Kyle Pitts, who, you know, the big selling point for Pitts has been, look at this guy's speed and his catch radius and, and his ability to go up and get the ball over other people. And, it, you know, it's just not working for any number of reasons. So, but it, it is the combination of those limitations and his desire you know, to put things on his shoulders and put things on his plate, which I think is an admirable thing about him. He wants to make the play. He wants to reverse these trends that are happening. But you've noticed it more and more as the Falcons have been losing, um, you know, trying to come back that he's putting an impossible amount of pressure on himself. And instead of seeing those really efficient, like staying within himself, as he says, performances like he had against San Francisco or to a lesser extent, Carolina, the first time out, he's he's getting into trouble um because again this isn't a team playing a close game playing with a a lead it's trying to make something happen coming from behind but for all that i do agree with what people say about you know um expecting better quarterback play just by making a quarterback change might be a little bit much because of the state of this offensive line I, i think left guard is is a little bit of a turnstile thanks to injuries like i generally don't know two or three weeks from now who's going to be starting there and that's a problem when you've yeah. got four options you've got no options and and center is a concern to me you know with caleb mcgarry um you know i think he's mostly done fairly well this year and, and he may be back so 
But with Senate, I said that, um, you know, when that battle came down to the wire between Dahlman and Hennessy, you either had a, a really good situation or a really bad situation, right? Because the good situation was both of these guys are good and Dahlman wins and he goes on and he has a great season, right? And like, so now then you know that you've got two good options. Hennessy took a step forward, but he couldn't beat out Dahlman. With the play, especially that we've seen this year um, recently, and then some of the, the poor snaps we've seen throughout the season, you know, it makes you think, oh, Dahlman beat Hennessy, that's not good. You know, so like the center position, uh, maybe Ryan Newsel is a guy who can develop into something at least a useful backup going forward. But I suddenly don't have a ton of confidence in that position panning out with the two guys that they have there. And so that's another need that you're potentially having on this, this team. And this is a very long winded way of saying, I really think you can't disconnect the quarterback and, and offensive line issues. I think they feed each other a little bit, but I do think that the line is the number one issue. And I don't know of any easy fixes for any of this because there's no big sweeping personnel changes you can make along the offensive line that are going to make things better. Maybe Jalen Mayfield, if he's magically gotten, you know, 200 times better in his second NFL season, but otherwise you're just counting on guys playing better. And, and that's sort of, at least for right now, what Arthur Smith seems to be thinking for the quarterback position as well. And, and really his, the wide receivers, everything um, is just guys who are in there are going to play better. And I think, it's again admirable in a way to stick with your guys to to believe in them to to push them forward and hope for better but i think maybe it's just a a lack of compelling options that's forcing them into that because things are getting worse not better yeah yeah it's center in particular i think has been the biggest issue um and it's Somewhat surprising. I th- I thought between Hennessy and Dolman they'd be mostly fine there. Um, early on, it was problems with the snapping. Now it's just problems with the blocking. It was just, it's it's very not good at center. So you you sort of, that's not something that they're going to be able to fix during the season. There's no great centers just sitting out there for them to call in. Um, so you sort of think that's probably going to be one of their biggest emphasis points in the off season. It would be center. Um, either getting a veteran, the the free agent market at this point looks pretty barren, but you never know what's going to happen. Guys get cut, guys get traded, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Um, it could also be a high draft pick. Um, the nice thing about center is if this team was picking, you know, in the later teens uh, or the early 20s, you could typically get the best center in the draft in that area. Um, you know, also, or if you're picking high, you can sometimes get that top center early in the second round. So that could be a potential option as well. Um, you know, I just love my boy, John Michael Schmitz. I mean, I feel like that's just the most offensive line name I've ever heard in my life. And I, I don't know how someone with that perfect of an offensive line name could ever be bad. So I'm very confident not having watched. Yeah. Jacob Jingleheimer as his middle names. He'd be perfect. That's all I'm looking for. I don't know that he does it. So we have to do well, some, we some, yeah, do some yeah. research on this um, and figure out for sure. Cause in that case, he's number one overall, no question. Um, but they're not going to be able to fix the offensive line issues unless, unless the solution is in house um, and left guard. Certainly you like what you saw from Elijah Wilkinson. So maybe the simplest thing is to just bring him back. 
um, and and see if you can develop someone else there, or maybe you do. Maybe you just take some some mid to late round guys and see if you can get anything to shake out, or you just sign more depth and see what you can do there. But I feel like you you can get away with one guard spot sort of being meh. But center, it's a lot harder to get away with a bad center, um, particularly when it comes to protection calls, which the Falcons haven't handled well. They also haven't, you know, Dalman's been mostly okay as a run blocker, but in pass protection, just disastrous. So um, we'll have to see uh, what happens there. But, you know, right tackle is another potential question mark. But McGarry has not been the biggest issue by far. Um, so that's nice that we're not talking about McGarry every single week. But, you know, you do wonder if he's played well enough to get a big extension here. Um, he's sort of in that weird spot where, like, someone's probably going to pay him. I don't know if Atlanta wants to or not, but um, you sort of think that the franchise tag is, is too expensive, so you either sort of extend him or you don't. Um, but that'll be interesting what's going on uh, at right tackle. But, you know, the going just to the the quarterback discussion, you know, People are sort of like, oh, why is everybody getting all on Mariota after this game? And it's like, well, to Mariota's credit, to Mariota's credit, it's he's done well enough. And I think basically up until the last couple games, he's done a good job of having some off games, but then just having a bounce back game immediately after. And it's easy to overlook stuff if you're bouncing back and having good games interspersed frequently. Now it's been, you know three games, four games without a good game. So um, now it's, it's that's why you're seeing the criticism really start to ramp up when, when he's stringing these losses together. The Falcons have lost three or four. Um, the passing game seems to continue to struggle. So that's what is, uh, I think, causing the most problems right now for this offense. And you watch the tape of the, the Panthers game, and it's some of it's certainly that Mariota's under pressure. Um, there were some bad snaps. There were some plays where, you know, like Dave mentioned, receivers fell down or whatever. Like, that happens sometimes. That's not Mariota's fault. But there were so many missed throws. Like, so many just inaccurate throws. So many mistakes. Um, and then you just see the the forcing it, which to me is the biggest issue because it's mental. Like, it, it, it's, it's just a like heaving up all these interception balls. Like he probably should have thrown three to four picks um, on, on, and I would say three of them were passes that should just not have even left his hand. Like you just eat the sack or you just don't throw or you throw it out of bounds, but just, just chucking up hero balls that were not even, you know, close. Um, and it just feel you, it seems like you can feel it. Like this is sort of a physical on field manifestation. I think of the frustration that the fan base and probably other people involved are feeling with Mariota like Mariota is not a fool like he I'm sure he feels it himself that the time is you know the, there's more and more pressure on him to to fix the issues in the passing game and if not he could potentially you know find himself not starting anymore this has happened to him like two times so um he knows what that feels like and I think we all if we're talking about it I guarantee you the players are talking about it or thinking about it. The coaching staff is thinking about it um, because I get, they, they spend way more time 
on this stuff than we do. You know, I like to think that we're obsessed, but they're they're the ones getting paid millions and whose livelihoods are very much on the line for whether this team is good or bad. Because we're fine, like our livelihoods are fine if the team sucks or not. You know, we're we're just here to you know deliver takes. These guys, everything hinges on how the team plays. So it's complicated, and I feel bad for for Mariota that he's sort of seeing this thing happen again. But I think. He just seems like he's starting to get in his head, and I worry if that's something that he can recover from, like, in season. Like, if it, he was playing so loose and calm early, and, and it looked like he was having fun and, like, confident again, and I think that's been rattled recently. But what, what do you think about, about that? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, all we can go off of is, is really what we see on the field and what Mariota says himself. You know, I, I can... I can only put so much stock in, in what the coaching staff says about the quarterback situation or whatnot, because when they're ready, they're going to make the change and they'll, you know, be giving votes of confidence right up till the moment they make that change. So, you know, that that's just part and parcel of this. And, and Arthur Smith is going to go to bat for a guy he likes and respects as you'd expect. And he's going to go to bat for all of his guys because that's what he does. So, you know, him dismissing the idea that there's a quarterback situation. Well, if Mariota bombs this week against Chicago, which I sincerely hope does not happen, um, you are going to probably see a quarterback change next week. And and so all of that, that talking about it will have been for not nothing, but obviously it will not make a difference in the end. So I look at Mariota and the way that he's played recently as, and he said it himself again, trying to do too much. And there, there are quarterbacks and there are people at different positions, regardless of what position it might be, who play very much within the limitations they know they have. Um, and Mariota is not one of those guys. I think eventually this happens to him where the more exposure he gets to NFL defenses and the more pressure they put on him to make a play by saying, okay, we're going to take away the run and let you beat us. The more, the harder it gets for him to actually execute on that stuff. And, and, you know, whether that is like a mental block, whether it's just a, the way that things go for him in the game or not, it isn't ultimately important. What's important is he is struggling right now, obviously, as a passer. And if they're going to keep him in there, they need to figure out a way to allow him to be more confident and allow him to play within himself again um, so that he's more comfortable, so that he has easier looks. And some of that is, again, limited by the strength of the offensive line and we know that but it just comes back to this essential conundrum that i have that i don't expect ritter to step in and be instantly better than mario i think he'll be better at some things and worse at others as you'd expect from a rookie quarterback but i think that at some point with the way the passing game is going and with the way that the falcons every time they fall behind, they're starting to crumble a little bit and maybe collectively put that pressure on themselves. It doesn't make sense to me to keep going back to this well and not getting better results versus seeing what you have in the rookie quarterback for the last few games of the season and figuring out if you need to draft somebody else next year, which is a legitimate possibility. You know, if they don't feel great about where Ritter is going and this is such a pivotal off season and pivotal season for them, you know, having lost so many years in a row, having all this cap space to make big transformative changes to the roster. Like you want to have the quarterback in place. And so 
I think we've seen enough to know that Mariota is not going to be that guy going into the next year. He's not going to be the full-time starter. So you can play this out a little bit longer and, and hope that he bounces back and, and he finishes the year strong and you love Ritter and you're not getting him in. Or you can take a look at the rookie and your results are probably not going to be significantly worse. So, Yeah, I think that's sort of what most fans are feeling, which is that like it can't get much worse and like it can always be worse. Like, trust me, like it can, but it does seem unlikely um, considering how low, like how like this past, they're already passing for like less than 150 yards. Most weeks, like, it's like, how much worse could it, could it be? Um, so I get that angle. Certainly. I think you, you raised a lot of good points and, um, you know, on the point of, of Arthur Smith, you know, really downplaying the quarterback controversy and all this, that's just who he is. And, and a lot of coaches will, will do this. Um, you know, you, you think about, Mike Tomlin, like, did he tease Kenny Pickett coming in? No. Like, all of a sudden, Kenny Pickett was just playing. Like, that's exactly what's going to happen here. Uh, Arthur Smith is not going to tease a competition or, or be like, well, you know, Mario needs to play better or we're going to get Ritter in there. Like, he may be thinking that. I would be surprised if there was if there weren't conversations happening in the building about that um, at this point. Now, not saying that they are or aren't planning to do that at any particular time, but... If we're talking about it, they're talking about it. You can, I guarantee it. And we, th- what we don't know is, like, how is Ritter progre- progressing? Is he ready? Because I think if Ritter's ready, then it's just a matter of time. Um, you know, and, and potentially even next week at, at this point. If Ritter's not ready, and we don't know exactly how they quantify that, like, does he know the playbook? Does, it, it, you know, is he hitting the right reads in practice? What is he doing to prove that? Like, again, like they only showed 30 minutes of practice. We don't have anyone there to see that part of practice anyway. And they're not, apparently they're not showing Ritter at all in those 30 minutes throwing the ball. So no one knows. Um, But I, I, I wouldn't necessarily take Arthur Smith saying there is no quarterback situation as a sign that there's not going to be a change anytime soon. I don't think there's going to be a change this week. I think he's probably, he's made that pretty clear, but Going forward, I think this is a week-to-week proposition um, for Mariota, and I don't think Arthur Smith is going to ever announce something like that because I do think that he's a classy guy. Like I, I, I don't think he's going to throw Mariota under the bus uh, and and put more pressure on him. I think he's trying to to show as much confidence in his starters and his players as possible, but. I think we all know that the conversations are probably happening and, and the wheels are turning for Ritter to eventually make an appearance when that happens. Probably depends on how the team performs. Of course, how Mariota performs, but as you said, Dave, like we all know Mariota was brought in here to be a stopgap starter. You look at the contracts, it's to your contract, but basically the second year is completely a team option. Like the Falcons could cut him and save you know, I think 12 of his $14.5 million cap hit or something like that. So they next year is completely optional, and clearly the idea was, like, we don't need, like, he, if, if he plays great, then we've got him under contract for, like, $15 million, and that's a bargain for a great for, for a starting quarterback. But if he doesn't, we just cut, cut bait and move on. Um, and unless he played really well, that was probably going to be the case. Or if he played that well, and you love what you get in Ritter, you know, maybe they pull off some sort of trade. Uh, for like, you know, day two, day three compensation, which would have been maybe the best case scenario. It doesn't look like that's particularly likely at this point. Um, but 
it's a dicey situation. You, you hate it for Mariota. Certainly, he's had to go through this multiple times already. It's sort of the nature of the of the of the game in the NFL. When you're on that cusp of being a, like a starting quarterback or not, you're a guy that's sort of like not quite good enough that any team's going to go out of their way to make you their starter, but not bad enough really to just get benched outright either, which is really what Mariota's been. Like I think he's been serviceable. What I wanted to see, like preseason, my checklist was like, is the offense watchable? Is it functional? And I think up until last week, it was both of those things. Last week, the functional part, I think you could argue that it was no longer, the passing game was no longer functional. And that's sort of a turning point for me in the whole situation. But um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. We could see Ritter, I think, as early as next week if things go downhill this week. Um but, you know, just taking a wild stab. We don't know what's going to happen this weekend. But when are you sort of expecting to see Ritter, like, uh, in terms of the, the week that you think is the most likely time, um, in terms of just a wild guess at this point? My wild guess at this point is after the bye. Um, so I think we will only see him for a handful of weeks. Um, and again, this is a guess based on nothing in particular. But... I find it hard to believe that Mariota is going to to bomb the way he did um, this past week or or even the week before against the Chargers. And I think that that's going to buy him a little bit more time. I think regardless of what the team has said about, you know, not needing to wait till the buy, right? Because you you can get a lot of good data week to week and make changes as you need to. I think the preference would probably be to have that extra prep time if you're going to install him. And, and I think what we're looking at essentially is um, a three-game, you know, audition for Mariota to keep the job the rest of the year. I, I don't think it's going to wind up turning that way because I think they are going to want some kind of look at Ritter. Um, so I think things will line up ju- just because I would have thought, you know, the Bears game would be a reasonable possibility the first Carolina game was a reasonable possibility. Even the Steelers game would make a lot of sense because of the quality of opponent. But I think just based on what Arthur Smith has said and the the run that they've given Mariota, the fact that they're probably not going to find themselves entirely out of it um, for the next couple of weeks suggests to me that it'll be after the bye. Um, and, and it could be, you know, again, like you said, it's a shot in the dark here. If Mariota plays really it could be next week if he plays really well and kind of recaptures that early season form um it it might not happen but that's that is my guess right now and that way you still get you know that handful of games that Ritter is the starter gives you some idea of his potential and, and gives him some momentum to head into next season if he is your starter um without sort of blowing up what the team really views as a a playoff chase, um, regardless of, of how likely that ends up being. Yeah, we will talk about that for sure uh, as we continue on tonight, you know, how realistic that idea is. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, I think the Bears game is important. Um, it's not necessarily an easy opponent for Mariota to to pass against. The Bears are still a top 10 passing defense. Um they're bad against the run. So, you know, maybe this is a game where the Falcons can just take advantage of that. And that maybe helps them win. Uh, the bears have certainly been giving up a lot of points lately, uh, despite their own offensive improvement. They've just been giving up more points on defense now without Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn there. But, um, I think if they lose against the bears, 
any time Ritter could come in at that point because I I I think if they lose against the Bears the the, the it's over like with the playoffs like we're we could put that to bed. Um but if they win against the Bears, I think it's sort of again an open question. I think it's sort of like the next loss is probably when you're sort of wondering when Ritter's going to be playing, like for real, like, okay. Um, and I think it would be advantageous, like if they do lose to the command, like if they win against the Bears and then lose against the Commanders and pair that with the Bucks winning another game in that span. Like if the Bucks win again, like say the, you know, Falcons and Bucks win and then in week 12, both teams, you know, the Falcons lose and the Bucks win again. Then the Falcons are like effectively two and a half games behind the Bucks now with like five games to go. And you just, it's unlikely the Falcons are going to close that gap. Um, you know, obviously you play the Bucks, so you always have that in your back pocket that you can have that, you know, equalizer game to end the season. But it just seems unlikely if they, if they drop a game to these next three, t- you know, I think they have to basically go three and zero over this next stretch to, to keep their playoff hopes alive. Um, and that is but, not impossible. It's given not. The quality of the opponent. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it, it, it's very possible. But like, again, it, you don't feel confident about it considering they've should have lost to the Carolina Panthers who are, you know, picking in the top three at this point. Uh, they should have lost to them twice. So it's like, well, who should they be favored against? They are still favored against the bears. Uh, you know, we'll see. If it doesn't seem like they'll be favored against the commanders considering that they just beat the Eagles uh, and the Steelers got TJ Watt back and just put the hurt on the saints. So, um, you know, it, it's not looking quite as easy as maybe we initially thought heading in uh, this next stretch, but it's a very important one. Um, let me yeah. get to a couple of donations here before we continue on with our potential playoff uh, talk here. Uh, Ray Moon with the $5. What's up, right? Thanks, man. He says, I have a problem with Arthur Smith's situational play calling the past couple of games. He's forcing a square peg into a round hole. Yeah, they. it's been weird to see them sort of really try to emphasize the deep passing game. Like, really try to emphasize it. Um, it was really weird to do it against the Chargers, who actually have a good pass defense but a bad run defense. Against the Panthers, it sort of made more sense because the Falcons got behind and they really had to make up a lot of ground. But definitely, yeah, it you would think that this team would be better pounding the rock. And against the chargers, I think they absolutely should have pounded the rock more, but against the Panthers, they were just getting blown up with whatever they tried to do. So, um, yeah. And it's interesting to me too, because the number of times where if not for miscommunication or Mariota missing the number of times those plays would have worked is actually fairly high. So you can see the thought process there it's it's we're going to run and run and then when we do connect on a big play it's going to be devastating it's it's like when you know Mariota found bird that one week for that huge touchdown like this stuff is you know game swinging when it happens but the number of of at bats they're taking trying to do that and the number of times they're striking out is, is sort of part of the problem here so like i i don't I don't hate it in a vacuum, but sort of knowing how things are going, I, I agree it's it hasn't been the best call. Yeah, and it's like in in a more effective overall offense, you know, the Falcons taking shots on on second down, which is what they've been doing lately, like taking downfield shots on second down. That makes more sense, I think, for a lot of offenses to do that. The problem with the Falcons is if you have second and eight and you go deep and you and you don't get it and this team gets in third and eight, they're just not converting that. 
like very often. Um, now, no team converts third and long at a super high rate, but the Falcons are particularly bad at it considering how the team is constructed. So it's like you're, if this team gets off schedule at all, the drive just ends. So it, it's, you know, they've they've managed to get lucky sometimes, I think, with finding some big games here, gains here and there. But I think just really trying to force the ball downfield, I don't think is, is really the setup for a really successful offense. Uh, I think it's, it has to be more methodical. But I also think that this is part of the QB situation that doesn't exist. Like, Arthur Smith is trying to find out, I think, like, okay, Mariota, we need these deep passing plays to connect. I need you to make these plays. So we're calling them. You need to execute. And time and time again, we're seeing them not executed, that this is a weakness for Mariota. Um, and it, it's it's sad because these guys are open. <laughs> Kyle Pitts especially uh, you know, and, and Bird, to his credit, has shown that he's certainly capable of stretching the field deep. And Mario has connected with Bird and, and Zacchaeus, but London deep and, and Kyle Pitts deep have been consistent issues. I think the stat updated was that uh, Kyle Pitts has been, it's been off target. 30% of Kyle Pitts' targets have been considered off target, as in basically uncatchable, um, which is just comical. Um that that he is the leading and the NFL's work like the worst uh percentage in the NFL is is targets to Kyle Pitts right now and that's part of the reason I think that Mario or that Ritter getting on the field sooner rather than later is realistic because these guys took Kyle Pitts at four and then they took Drake London at eight this passing game is supposed to be the engine of this offense or a key part of it. And right now it's an afterthought with Mariota at the helm. That is not their long-term plan. I know everyone's like, oh, well, why did they take these guys? They're just going to run the ball. And the reason, and we talked about it, right? Like they're doing it because that's what they thought was going to help them win games this year. Not because it's their long-term strategy or their perfect plan, um, but because that was what was going to lead to them having success this year. And to their credit, it worked for a while. It's not working anymore, <laughs> but um, I don't think this is what they want, uh, and I think they're trying to sort of push Mariota to to prove that he can do it, and so far he hasn't risen to that challenge. Yeah, and I, I do think it is a hint of what we're going to see down the line too. Um, if all goes well with Ritter, obviously they're going to want to take those deep shots, and I, I think if you look at what the Titans' offense really was at its peak under Arthur Smith, like, they did run the ball a lot, you know, and, and if they don't have a Derrick Henry here in Atlanta, they have hopefully a really capable stable of backs who are, are good players. I think even if you just roll forward for the next year or two with, with everybody you have today, you'd have a really good group, um, one through four, down to Avery Williams. And so, but what, what also made that work was that Tannehill could consistently hit those shots. Um in a way that isn't happening here. So I, I think it, it is sort of by necessity that they're doing these things and they're trying to install these things, but it's also, I think, a clue of what they would ideally like to do going forward. It's just that more of those gambles are going to pay off. Yeah. Yeah. It's, they need that to happen. And, and I agree, like Ryan Tannehill, that's been one thing he's been excellent at is hitting those deep shots consistently uh in Tennessee and you know Ryan Tannehill is a good athlete as well like again I think the Falcons they and we can see it from the game plan right I I think Mariota is more like 
not necessarily an overall talent level, but archetype. I think Mariota is closer to Lamar Jackson than like uh, Ryan Tannehill. Like you want to scheme up like five to eight runs a game at least for for Lamar. You probably you probably want to do that for Mariota too. But the Falcons aren't calling a lot of designed runs for Mariota. They're playing Mariota a lot more like Ryan Tannehill, um, where he's you know utilized in the red zone as a runner, utilized maybe on third down sometimes, but not really making him his running a part of like the every down offense. Um, and the better fit for that role probably is Desmond Ritter, who again, like Tannehill, um, very fast athletic, but not really a guy that's like a premium runner, certainly capable of ripping off chunks, you know, if he's left in a favorable situation, but not a guy you scheme up designed runs for all the time, except maybe in the red zone. Um, so that's another thing I think leaning in, in Ritter's favor is like if they really want a Tannehill and it, based on how they've called the offense even with Mariota in there, it's like they're looking more for that player than Mariota at this point uh, or even like a Lamar Jackson type of player. Now, obviously, if you get Lamar Jackson, you think that they're going to scheme up more runs for him. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and I hope that they do get Lamar Jackson still, but it, it's, you know... Th- Currently, they're looking for, and that's the other thing about Lamar is, of course, that he's better than Ryan Tannehill at throwing the deep ball too. So, like, yes. he's yeah. better in all facets, um, and more athletic, and a better runner, and a better passer. So it's, you know, you get sort of the best of all worlds with Lamar. Maybe he should just have his own archetype. Um, but it's, you can see, sort of, I think the framework and it's not surprising that that Arthur Smith would want to sort of lean on the offense that got, had so much success in Tennessee I mean and, and it was so efficient particularly in the red zone particularly in the passing game and relying on a good run game you this man can clearly scheme up a good rushing attack um he turned this awful run blocking offensive line into like one of the best ones in one offseason essentially so um I think that I guess I, I, I have a lot more faith in this coaching staff and their overall plan, but I don't believe what they say in press conferences and you shouldn't either folks like don't take anything yep. that's said too seriously. Like, and we, that's exactly what we said. Like they're not going to throw their guys under the bus. They're not going to announce a quarterback change or tease it until they're making the change. So, yeah. And, and I think this comes back to, you know, something that we should have all been <laughs> smarter about with, with Mike Smith, with Dan Quinn, um, maybe not with Jim Mora because he mm. was kind of nuts and he might have told you exactly what he wanted to do, including leaving his job for a college job. Um, but when you when you come down to it, you know, all of these guys are going to keep some cards close to their chest and they, they might deliver it in a in a folksy homespun way that's really kindly like, like uh, a Mike Smith. They might be, you know, really positive and exuberant uh one day and pissed off the next like dan quinn or they might be like arthur smith who can be really i think warm and engaging and interesting and then really prickly and defensive too but the the idea here generally is these guys are not going to come out and tell you exactly what they're going to do and exactly why they're going to do it and it would just be better for all of us myself very much included after all these years i still sometimes get very frustrated with what they're saying, but we do have to take it a little bit less seriously. We shouldn't really be getting mad at them for delivering the messages they're delivering. We just kind of have to try to parse 
what they're saying and versus what they're actually doing and, and come out with, you know, what are the Falcons planning to do next? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be really interesting to monitor this team going forward. And particularly this off season, I think is going to be the most fascinating, exciting off season that we've had in a really long time. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but it's also like, there's so much intrigue because we don't, we don't know what this staff really wants to do or what their actual style is because they've been basically had their hands tied since they got here in free agency in particular. And so far we've seen that like Fontenot is going to try to find, you know, values and, and, and be sort of savvy with the guys he brings in. But was that out of necessity or out of a preference? Um, so I do wonder like, what is the strategy? Did they go get a bunch of big name guys or did they, fill out the roster with like 10 mid-level signings that are none of them are like super sexy but it's like oh wow the depth on this roster is like drastically better now like i i don't know and that's part of the exciting thing that's going to come this offseason but um before we get to too much of that talk we do need to talk about the playoffs this year uh and we will get to that next guys i do want to read off some more donations and if you're watching on youtube live uh please give us a like and subscribe really appreciate that those numbers help us out uh, I did want to shout out our latest patron, John Farmer. What's up, John? Joined at the fan tier. Uh, thank you, man. Really appreciate that. Um, if you want to get in on this Patreon action, by the way, you can check it out at patreon.com slash Live. Get all these exclusive perks, including ad-free early access to all the podcast recordings of these and other episodes. Uh, plus, you get you know to talk to Dave and I and, and a whole host of guests on the uh, Q&A sessions, of which... We'll probably have one very soon, but you know, I can't reveal at this point, but you know, soon, soon TM. Um, so <laughs> definitely enjoy those guys. Uh, let's get to Jason Gaines here. Uh, he's got two. I'll go with his, uh, I'll go with this one first. Um, first of all, Jason says, did not agree with Arthur Smith settling for the field goal to end the first half against the Panthers. Thought that was very conservative play calling. There was still enough time to take a shot at the end zone. All that said, I would like to see Mariota benched. I think it's Ritter time. Also, did you guys see that Dan Quinn signed Tack McKinley to the Cowboys practice squad? Yeah, Tack is uh, Tack is back. So, what a small world. That was the most, you know, predictable place for him to end up, certainly. But, uh, well, our, and, yeah. did everybody see that the uh, Vegas Vipers drafted Vic Beasley first overall? That's exciting. Oh, oh hell yeah! But we all know he doesn't want to play football. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I would, I would love for for him to to have that second win. I, I, I know people talk a lot about uh, you know not really wanting to hear about former Falcons for one reason or another, but I always get excited when one of them does well. So. I feel Unless like he could rip up the box. XFL too. Like he could like dominate that league if he's actually in invested. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah. That is interesting though. Um, then second part of Jason Gaines' donation here, total of four dollars. So thank you, Jason. It says nice to see Matt Ryan starting again, getting that dub and the career long thirty nine yard run with the two touchdowns. Hashtag Matty Vic is back. Uh, also looks like Tom Brady's continuing to. To kick people, he got penalized for tripping. Is he turning into former Duke star Grayson Allen? <laughs> I think that's a basketball joke. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, Matt Ryan. It, it, they did him so dirty in Indy. I'm glad that, you know, Frank Reich didn't want to bench him, so I don't blame Frank Reich. But 
at least they did the right thing and put him back on the field so he doesn't have to end his what could be his final season on the bench that's just depressing so well this is what happens too when you you get an owner who's meddling in quarterback decisions not that we would know anything about that here in atlanta so no no uh, we've never had anyone uh anyone ever question the quarterback decisions or try to pull off any wild trade scenarios or you know do anything extremely irresponsible with this team's draft picks and salary cap uh with regards to quarterback so never seen that before yeah. And uh, to answer a chat question, what animal did I think Matt Ryan looked like during that scramble? I actually compared him to a minivan going through a pottery class. So <laughs> do, with, do with that what you will. You don't. Yeah. And we don't know how many more of those we're going to get. So, Dave, I'm sure is really digging in, digging deep for some of these uh, these Matt Ryan tweets, because, uh, you know, you got to go down like maybe you had another hundred ready to go. Um, you know, like, like, and, but you got to narrow that down to like your top 10, like your, your biggest bangers, because we don't know how many more we're going to get. So it's sadly, sadly true. And, and, you know, I certainly don't do them uh, for every scramble the way that I used to, but that, that one called for it, I think. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, that was, that was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Um, and then we got George Costanza, with the one dollar, what's up, George? He says, Kevin, have you stocked up on water and, es- and essentials for the six feet of winter Mother Nature's projecting to bring you? And did you watch the same game I did for Marcus Mariota? How can 30% per- of targets to Pitts and London be uncatchable? Rigor can't be worse. Time for change. I mean, yes, absolutely. Uh, it's pretty ridiculous that you could be 30% of your targets off target, targeting any receiver, but... I believe London was at 19, which is also in the top 10 of like most passes thrown to this person that are uncatchable. So there seems to be a bit of a pattern developing here, unfortunately. It's so strange to me too, because again, like I hate to harp on this, but like the whole idea between be, behind London and Pitts, or at least part of the idea was, again, look at these guys and their insane catch radius because you've got two quarterbacks who both have you know some noteworthy accuracy issues in their past. And yet you're seeing Mariota place much better balls to like Zacchaeus, to Bird, um, even to like Tyler Algier than these guys who are like physical freaks that tower over everybody. And it's just, it's very odd. Um, I, I don't know how to explain it, but it is definitely happening. And it is a big part of this offensive struggles and there's no seeming good reason for it. Yeah, it's just... I don't get it. And you're right. Like you look at Kyle Pitts and that catch radius and you're like, wow, like for something to actually be labeled as uncatchable for Kyle Pitts, it must be like really uncatchable, like not even in the zip code, which unfortunately for I'm sure all of you that have watched the games, you've seen that like, like you just have to put it in like three to five feet of him and he's got a chance to catch it. And it's just not, we're not even getting that. Um, And you know, London, very similar. Like these are two skyscraper, big time receivers, big time catch radius, fearless guys uh, at the catch point, particularly London and, and Pitts, you know, just a monster at creating separation. And they're just not like, I think that's maybe the biggest weakness in, in Mariota's game is that he's not really willing to, to try to throw those tight window throws. And I don't know if that's coaching. I don't know if that's something that he's just sort of, you know, a little bit, nervous about i don't know if it's like uh he's reluctant to trigger on that stuff or or you know people have brought up good stuff too about like look 
on these rollouts and these play actions, it's like he has to turn his back to the defense when you execute some of these plays. So it does delay your ability to read the field. Um, so that, that does, you know, add another layer of complexity, but you gotta, you gotta like give these guys a chance to make a play. Um, and just, it seems like on so many of these throws that they're just, it's not even in play. Um, yeah. and, it, and considering, who these guys are it's like the fact that you can't even get it in play to these receivers um is just bizarre to me uh it's pretty it's just crazy and, and the only other thing that i'd add to that is like and this is this is the margin of things happening right like let's say five of those throws mariota puts close enough for these guys to get it we're not talking about desmond ritter right now because the falcons yeah. have probably won at least one more game yeah um and you know there's five more big plays, you know, 20 plus yards probably on the ledger from Mariota. Like that's, that's what we're talking about here is how costly those plays are from a perception standpoint. And, and from really a standing standpoint, like this is, it's come down to a handful of plays where he's just missed it, but those handful really do stand out. Yeah. And it's, it's one thing if you're you're you just can't hit the kill shots, which is sort of what it was early in the season. It was like, oh, the passing game, the short game, the intermediate game is effective and it's efficient, even though it's low volume. They're just not hitting the deep shots. And now it's like they're just not hitting like anything. <laughs> and that's the big problem. It's like we're not hitting anything reliably. A lot of these are just completely off target. And then you're getting, of course, the this game was the we're just going to chuck it down there and see what happens game. And, and that's obviously unacceptable and going to cause great problems for an offense. I do wonder if this bears game will be the opposite of like, I'm not throwing this ball unless it's guaranteed, you know, completion, like perfect situation. And he's just holding the ball forever and taking check downs and all this stuff. I don't know which one is going to be more effective for this offense, to be honest. But um, at yeah. this point, just it's, it's so limited. Um, but that does bring us, I think, to sort of our final point here, which is how realistic is it for this team to make the playoffs? I mean, mathematically speaking, four and six, the division leader has five wins. So that you're, you know, you're not exactly out of it, clearly. But you look at the trajectory of these two teams, the Bucks have, have won two straight now, and the Falcons have won have lost three of their last four. And you know, two of should have been two losses to the Panthers, who are one of the worst teams in football. You would think going into this three-game stretch, which should have been the easiest stretch on the schedule, that you would feel better about this team going on a run here. But the one thing this team has been unable to do this year is go on a run of any kind. Uh, they did win two games, which was the first time that's happened in a while uh, earlier in the season. But since then, it's been win-loss, 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 whatever. So. What do you think, Dave, about the the realistic opinion here? Um, you know, and we could we can break it down however you want, but do you think it's it's a legitimate possibility still? I think five thirty eight gave him like a seventeen percent chance to make it. You know, analytically speaking, but what do you feel in terms of the realistic possibility of this team making the postseason? It's entirely up to what happens now right and that's that's such an unsatisfying answer but like we saw the falcons play better football against really better teams um certainly the rams game doesn't look as impressive now um, maybe the saints game too but 
we've we've seen them do well. We've seen them play their style of football, and it really, you know, works when everything is firing. The problem is is they haven't been playing like that, and and so it is a question of can you sort of shake off this funk tweak things a bit, tailor them um, maybe to to fix some of these issues with the passing game in particular, maybe with your run defense, because that's really concerning this week. And if you can, yeah, I, I think they still have a shot because I'm not sold on the the Buccaneers sort of taking off. You know, they, they might have gotten off the runway, but they're, you know, 15 feet off the ground and they got boxes hanging off the landing gear and everything. So that they're they're still not like, taking off of this division so it's if the falcons play well the rest of the way and you know sort of get back to what made them successful earlier in the year and you know they haven't just been truly figured out by other teams i still think they have a decent shot the question is how likely is that and i think given where the defense has been trending given where the passing game has been trending um you know with injuries starting to become a factor for this team it's probably not that realistic. So I, I wouldn't put it as low as, you know, 17%, but I'd say, you know, they they probably have somewhere between like a 33 and 45% chance of making it, depending on how much they can improve in the next couple of weeks. Because it, it really is, this is a dire situation right here, because if you lose to the Bears and the Buccaneers win this week, I, I think that's pretty much over because, It'll tell you a lot if you lose to the Bears, a team that has looked really scary in recent weeks, but still hasn't been able to win. Yeah, that that's an interesting thought. So, so you think it is a legitimate chance still that they they can make the postseason? Not, you know, we don't know what the outcome of this week's game will be, but assuming, you know, at this point with the outcome still potentially a W, you you do think like a thirty three to forty five percent chance. That that's I would say well within a realistic possibility then. Yeah, I think so. And and again, it, it's a belief that as as much attrition as this team has suffered and, you know, sort of the limitations of the structure they're working in, you know, I do think there is enough talent here. And I think there's enough smart people in the building to reverse some of these things. So I, I do think there is still a chance. Like, I am not completely out on them making it. Are they going to make it with, you know, are they going to win the rest of their games and look really impressive? No, they're going to be limping into the playoffs if they make it um, with an assist from the Buccaneers. But just given the state of the division and because I believe they can play much better football than that. Yeah, I'm I'm still I'm I'm still not entirely out on it. I'm not writing the obituary. Okay, well, that's nice. It's good to get some positivity. And if they win against the Bears, especially if they do so convincingly, the narrative can change right back to, okay, we're still in this thing, you know, with a team on a two game winning streak, especially it was like two losses in five days. Everyone's very down. So that's recency bias that that's a real thing. Um, so I think, I think you're right. I think it all hinges on this game because if you can't beat the bears at home, then you're you shouldn't be favored against anybody. Um, and, and the Bears are not the disaster that they were early in the season. The defense has gotten a lot worse. The offense, I think, has gotten a lot better. But this team is still imminently beatable. I mean, they just lost to the Lions. They've they've still continued to lose despite Justin Fields being downright heroic every single week. It seems like um, you have to win this game. I think if you win this game, 
the playoffs are still a realistic possibility. If you lose this game, I think it's over. Um, I, I think you have it at that point because it, it, it's so tenuous. Um, and I, I think that's probably why 538 has it so low because I, I think your take is correct, Dave, that because the Bucks are so mediocre and the Falcons' schedule on paper looks so easy, it's like, well, the Falcons should probably be favored to win, to, to have a winning record, you know, at this point or something like that. Not like a big winning record, but like maybe 9-8 and eight or something like that, or 8-9, and nine, and that could be enough to win this division. Um, but you look at... It's just right now it feels very dark because you see the Bucks winning two in a row and the Falcons losing two in a row, and it's like, oh, these teams are going in completely different directions, but... You know, we'll see, I think, this weekend how true that is. If the Falcons lose three in a row, then it's like, you can pack it up. If they, if they win this game, then it's like, okay, you're just one game out of 500, and you've got two still relatively easy games going into the bye. But I, I think you have to probably win these three games. I don't think you can afford another loss before the bye. Um, because I think if you want to have any chance of getting a winning record, I still think you need nine and eight probably to make the playoffs. Maybe eight and nine will be enough, but I I think with the Bucks probably having the division tiebreaker over you, um, and this of course assumes that the Falcons keep the Bucks from sweeping them, uh, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. if the Bucks sweep the Falcons, it doesn't probably matter one way or the other. But um, assuming the Falcons can prevent the sweep, I still think the Bucks are likely to finish with a better divisional record. So you have to treat the Bucks like they have a half game lead because they will probably own that tiebreaker. The Falcons probably have to to do better, like have a better record than the Bucks at the end of the season. I think that's really the only way that this is going to work. Um, the Bucks don't exactly play a terrible schedule either. They get to play the Browns, um, who I guess will have Watson at that point, so who knows what that team's going to look like. Saints uh, at 49ers, which you know, you'd think that's probably a game they would not be favored in. They do have to play the Bengals, who can definitely beat just about anybody on any given week. You know, the cart, late-season Cardinals, who knows? Uh, and then the Panthers and the Falcons. So it's not like they play a murderer's row either, but you probably would think that they've got a couple more losses in there. So the Falcons just have to probably only lose one or two more games all season. Uh, that That's all they can afford. And if they lose one to the Bears, and it's like, well, now you're really screwed because you still have to play the Ravens. And you got to play the Saints on the road, which is going to be tough. And you have to play the Cardinals, but it's the late season Cardinals, so who knows? So it's you probably have to go into that final stretch being able to lose two of those games to have a realistic chance, in my opinion. But at this time, as of Wednesday, you know November sixteenth, where they haven't lost to the Bears, I think that I agree with Dave that it is still a possibility. Uh, I don't know how. I don't know if it's going to happen, but. They got to win this Bears game. That's really the moral of tonight's show, probably, is you got to beat the Bears, yeah. right? And, and I think the, the the way that they would lose to the Bears if they lost to the Bears would tell you why it's over, right? Because the Bears have a really bad run defense, so you should be able to gash them. Their, their passing defense isn't so good that you can't throw against them. And, you know, while they fields is, you know, dangerous as a passer and they do have some weapons, it's their ground game that's going to win it. And that run defense has been a relative strength for Atlanta. So outside of last week, basically, yeah. other, other than the last, you know, two out of yeah. three weeks against Carolina. So yeah. 
if they run all over you and you still can't get that passing attack going and the you know your rushing offense isn't enough against a team that is really a major liability against the run then i think you you have to say this is our game we we did the best we could with it we've now lost four out of the last five weeks and against some some pretty poor teams it's it's time to call it so yeah yeah i agree so we'll see uh how they play it it's a, this is a crucial game for them um but i think we're both in agreement that the season kind of hinges on this game um in terms of like you gotta you gotta you gotta win the layup games i think like there's we're, we're out of opportunities to blow games you should win um like losing to the panthers okay that was your that was your freebie you gotta save your losses now for tougher teams um and like maybe the commanders game is one of those tough games you know we'll see how they look when we play them next week um and what's going on there but i mean they just they did just take down the eagles so this team is certainly capable of beating teams um taylor heineke i think beat the falcons last year too right so uh <laughs> you had to remind me of that yeah, yeah that, was I, I, that was a very frustrating game if i remember correctly so hopefully that doesn't happen again but um yeah so i the, the, the general answer for those that are only watching the last two minutes of this show is uh, playoffs still possible. A lot of it hinges on this week. Um, but if they lose this week, we'll probably see Ritter within the next couple of weeks after that. So, I mean, I think if they lose to the Bears, we could see him against the Steelers um, potentially. Uh, maybe even the Commanders. I guess I don't know if they care too much about him getting his first start on the road or not. But if they do, would maybe it would be the Steelers game. But... I think it might be beneficial for him to be the starter going into the bye, but I don't know. We don't know anything, guys. We're just guessing. You know, we <laughs> we pretend to know. But we're making educated guesses based yes. on long experience. And and certainly last year, you know, I said repeatedly, like, we didn't know what the heck was going on because it was all new, like new coaching staff, new front office, a lot of new players. This year, I feel like we have better guesses, but you still yeah. don't know. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not trying to necessarily pick on anyone in the chat, but Will Starr saying, you know, leave Mariota alone. The offensive line sucks. You're absolutely right about that. The offensive line does suck. But the next part of your comment where you're saying, well, the defense is not playing well. The defense has nothing to do with Mariota. Like, if we were talking about the Falcons not being a good team and losing games, like, you could talk about the defense, but... When we're criticizing Mariota, it doesn't have anything to do with the defense. Like, the defense is not making Mariota play poorly. And to be honest, the defense has kept them in it the last two weeks. Like, yes, they got gashed by Deontay Foreman, but this team was absolutely... Like, they, they needed they needed way more from the offense. The offense had, like, three drives the entire day against the Panthers where they did anything. Um, the defense, you know... This defense holding someone to 25 points or 20 points or whatever, that is a win. <laughs> It's a big win, um, and we may be getting AJ Terrell back this week, so that would be nice. But um, it it does matter in the context of winning games, but it doesn't excuse Mariota's accuracy or his failure to hit players or his overall poor play at quarterback. If you want to say the offense is scoring fewer points because the de- the defense is giving up long drives and tie up position issues and that sort of thing, that's fine, but criticism of Mariota and the defense being bad are sort of not really that related 
Um, it's just, it's not really that relevant. It's relevant to the team discussion, certainly, but I I don't think it, it makes a lot of sense to sort of try to give Mariota a pass because the defense is playing poorly. It would be more like, well, you know, the offense isn't working with great field position or the offense has to go out and do stuff because the defense is giving up a lot of points. That's all true, but I don't think the defense playing poorly has anything to do with Mariota's shortcomings as a quarterback. Well, I also think, you know, there's sort of an interesting thing here. Like, I I have to say that, like, I have never encountered a more um, dedicated fan base for a player than there is for Mariota in in many, many years of doing this. And that's the the honest truth. And I've never seen this kind of ferocity in defending a player. And I, I think that says a lot about Mariota, right? That you have that kind of fan base, that you have folks who who leap to your defense. I, I think that's a credit to him. But I will say this, which is, you know, for some people, sure, it's all about Mariota and, and what he's done. But we have not been shy about saying, you know, receivers make mistakes and here's where they made a mistake. We certainly have not been shy about calling out the offensive line for, for their shortcomings. So... It's not just a, hey, you know, Mariota is the problem with this offense. He's the sole problem. Let's replace him with Ritter and everything will get better. Like, it, it's not that simple. And, and we all know that, I think. So, you know, I, I understand defending your guy at the end of the day, but it's the reason that he's being talked about is because he plays the most visible position because he has been a big part of the struggle the last two weeks. And unlike, you know, some of the positions on the offensive line where the team can't just try something else from a personnel standpoint. They have a quarterback that they supposedly think highly of that they just drafted. So that all plays into it. And the fact that they're looking toward the future. And as you said earlier in the show, Kevin, you know, Mariota is on a short term, almost prove it style deal. Right. So you you have to take all of that into account. Like I, I don't expect anybody to stop, you know, defending Mariota because nobody likes to see their favorite player criticized. But I, I do think it's not just a, a simple, it's Mariota's fault. Like I, yeah, yeah. there are people out there saying that, and I recognize that, but it's, it's not that simple. And we do know that. Yeah. There, there's a lot of nuance to it at the end of the day. I think it's, uh, it's complicated. There is, there is a lot of layers to it. Um, there's not, it's not just one thing ever like it it, there's 11 guys on the field so it's never going to be 100% Mariota's fault but the reason he's getting criticized is the reason that all quarterbacks get criticized regardless of what's happening right is that they're playing the most visible position on the field as Dave said they're touching the ball every single play unless it's a direct snap to Felipe Franks um and (laughs) we need more of those we need more of those thanks Aaron yeah uh (laughs) It, he is going to take the, the lion's share of the blame for the passing game always because he's the one throwing the ball. Um, his, his mistakes are going to be more amplified because he's the one throwing the ball. Um, fair or not, that's how it is in the NFL and, and in football in general, that the quarterback is the face of the offense for good or ill. And when the offense is having issues, particularly the passing game, the quarterback is going to be scrutinized heavily the offensive line has a lot to do with it. We're not discounting that. And part of the reason I think you're seeing people talk about Ritter is because this is something that we can do. We have Ritter here. He's already on the roster. He's been learning. 
he had this really impressive, fun preseason, which is part of the problem, too, is that he looked so great in the preseason, had that miraculous game winner and all this stuff. Like, of course, he's going to generate a lot of hype because that's what you've seen of him. I wouldn't assume that's what you're going to get when he goes into play against real NFL defenses and not second, third string units. But changing from Mariota to Ritter is something we can do. It doesn't require us to go out and sign anyone or make a trade, which we can't do anyway. But assuming we could make a trade, you know, there's so there's there's very little we can do at the offensive line. Like, there's no great offensive lineman just waiting out there for us to go sign. If there were, they would have been signed already. Um, we can't really fix that. We can't fix center. We can't really fix left guard. We can't do much about that. We can change quarterback. So that's why we're talking about it, because that's a place where we can make a change. Um, I don't think Dave or I or really anyone at the Falcoholic thinks that or just assumes that Ritter will just be better than Mariota. But I think we have to know if he will or not. And I think it's important to see Ritter to some extent in a non-perfect situation, like come in and play behind a not great offensive line. Um Let's see how you handle that. And he's probably going to be sacked a lot too. It's probably not going to be pretty some weeks. Um, But it's not going to be perfect ever. Maybe you can get the stars to a line where you have a healthy, great offensive line and perfect weapons and all this for like half a season at a time. But there's always going to be some problem. You're always going to be dealing with some kind of injury. You're never going to have the perfect personnel, the perfect setup for your quarterback. You just got to see what he can do. Can he elevate? Can he maintain? Or is he going to drag the offense down? And unfortunately for Mariota, he's dragging the offense down right now. Um, Can Ritter do better than that? We don't know, but we need to find out soon. uh, Because if if he plays really well, it changes the calculus of the entire offseason. If he looks like the next Mahomes where this guy's coming in and you know, he plays great to end it, and it's like, we don't need to get another quarterback. We, we need to see Ritter for a whole season. This com- That completely changes your plan next year. Yeah. If Ritter looks like a disaster, then this team is probably going to be ultra-aggressive for a veteran like a Lamar Jackson, or they try to pull off a trade-up, or, you know, whatever they do. Like, it, it, it has such huge implications for the future, and I think knowing what we know about Fontenot and Arthur Smith, this is a future-focused regime. They're trying to win games right now, but I think we're not very far from this switching to evaluation mode, basically. Um, and that's, I think, why a lot of people want to see the change made. But, Dave, uh, please, uh, any final takes? No, I would just say, you know, again, it, so much of the next offseason, which is one of the most consequential offseasons in this franchise's history, you know, because we're working now on a fifth straight losing season, potentially, unless they come out of this. That doesn't make Arthur Blank happy and make anybody in the organization happy. It'll be, you know, a third year for the new GM and head coach who aren't so new anymore. And they have, you know, maybe the most cap space that's available in franchise history. I think that's probably true. So you, you put all of that together and it has to be a successful offseason. They have to make big strides next year. Even if it's not perfect, even if there are some stumbles and things don't go quite the way you expect, which is what usually happens, this this isn't a team that 
can go spend, you know, 60 plus million dollars on a bunch of shiny free agents and have a, a, another good draft class in terms of how many selections you have and come away with another losing season. Like, I just don't think that can happen without some kind of shakeup. So there, there is a level of pressure coming into next year and you have to know, do you have your quarterback of the future or do you not? Because it changes everything about how you approach the off season. If Ritter's under center and you don't spend money on a quarterback and you are trying to give him the best shot versus you're going to go get somebody who's more established. You're going to figure out where you can take shortcuts because that's going to cut into your cap space, et cetera. So it is a big consequential decision. And unless the Falcons feel like there's no way we want to see Ritter in this situation because it's not a great situation, but we have a hundred percent confidence in him starting next year. That's the only time it doesn't make sense to get that look at him. And obviously they're not going to tell us either way how that's going to go, but I, I don't really believe that's going to happen ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a tough situation and there's still quite a bit of football left to play this year. I, I, I think I did promise a mock draft if they lose against the Bears. So, you know, I, I guess some people might be pulling for that. Um, you know, even if they win against the Bears, we will we will get, you know, a mock draft probably within the next couple of weeks either way. All I asked for before the season was we need to get to week 10 without me feeling like I have to start writing draft content. And it's week 11, so we made it. So thank you, Falcons. That was what I asked for. You delivered. Um, but, uh yeah, uh, we got we got a long way to go. We don't need to you know rush it too much, but uh, this should be a pretty pretty fun off season, I think. Um, it's one that uh, we've been waiting for for several years. Getting doing the right things, I think Fontenot, the opposite of the Saints, sort of like we're gonna enjoy some some short term pain for the long term gain uh, gain, and you know we'll we'll see. Like it seems pretty clear. And this is going to be a big topic of the offseason that, that Fontenot really isn't in the Mickey Loomis tree of let's do whatever we can to maximize our, our winning window and like kick money into future years and do all this stuff to to sign as many players as possible and put our team in financial jeopardy. Fontenot's done the opposite. He's moved on from bad deals. He seems to be the guy that's making trades a year early rather than a year late. Um, he's done this now on several players. He looks like a genius for a lot for letting some of these guys walk, uh, some of the moving some of these guys. So I'm very confident. I'm excited to see what they do, and uh, yeah, we we will have to go from there. But we appreciate everyone hanging out with us tonight. Uh, please like and subscribe if you haven't done so already. If you're listening to the podcast audio, leave us that five star review. Help other people find the show. We appreciate that. And of course, you can check out the Patreon patreon.com slash falcoholic live also thank everyone who donated tonight really appreciate that guys uh also want to thank our wonderful guest this evening dave chote at the falcoholic himself dave anything you're working on anything you'd like to plug uh well nobody's gonna like it but uh tomorrow i feel like i say that a lot um tomorrow morning uh i have an article on the Falcons really facing a, a running quarterback for the first time this year, somebody who excels not only at throwing the ball, but, but tucking it down and running, which we know Justin Fields is maybe hotter than anybody else in the league at any position running the football right now. And, and so that's a unique challenge. Otherwise, um, you know, a ton of great stuff from, from UKEV and the rest of the guys at the Falcoholic um, really looking forward to, previewing this game and then please please let us celebrate a win uh sunday afternoon yes please can we get a big dub that would be nice um 
I don't know if I can handle three straight losses. It's getting, it's getting very dark around here. I'm sure you guys can feel it. So I definitely would appreciate a big dub on Sunday. Um, guys, you could follow me at Falcohol Kevin on Twitter. If this hell site continues to exist, uh, we'll see how long that goes, but, uh, you could also find all of our stuff. If Twitter were to disappear, of course, you could find all of our stuff on thefalcoholic.com where we've got a lot of people doing some tremendous work. Uh, and, of course, we also have the YouTube channel where we will always have your content. Uh, no longer on Facebook Live. Suck at Facebook. You, you weren't good enough for us. Uh, we, we do still have the Facebook page. So, you know, if, you're, if you do that, it's still there. But, you know, they don't get our video content anymore. They're, they're not good enough. Um, but, yeah, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will be back uh, Monday. We will have the game preview show. I believe I will be getting potentially a former Bears player uh, to come on the the game preview for the Bears. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But, uh, of course, we'll have the post game after Sunday's game as well. So until then, guys, thank you so much for tuning in, hanging out with us tonight. We will see you next time on the Falcoholic Live. Have a great night, folks.